This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who aren't done yet. You may have seen the worst of aging and are hoping there's a better way. There is, and I'm going to show you how. In interviews, book reviews, rants, and stories, each week, I'm going to bring you the latest science-based info on how to age better. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. It pisses me off, and it's BS. Look, aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50, where you get to meet the most interesting people that aren't necessarily found on the mainstream quite yet. And my guest today is one of those people who will become somebody you see in the mainstream. Her book is coming out in December. We're going to talk about that. Her name is Marie Scott. Marie, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Let me just tell the listeners a little bit about you. You are a functional medicine health coach, and we're going to talk about the importance of functional medicine for you and your life. And what you do, which I think is so interesting, is help widows and widowers rediscover how to live well, laugh more, and even find love again. And gosh, you just, in the few minutes before we got on the air, you were telling me some of the statistics and it's, it's mind boggling. But why I wanted to have you here is that you told me just now the average age of widowhood in America and Canada, is that correct? Both countries yes. is 59, 59 and a half. Yes. I didn't realize it was that young as an average. So of course there are many younger and many more older, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, 59, your life upended in that way. Tell us about your, give us a little bit of background about your life. I know that you and your husband had a lot of laughter and then something happened and you became a widow and this is where the journey started. But tell us about your marriage a little bit. Yeah. So it was Dave and I, my, my late husband, Dave, uh, we had 30 years together and it was a, a life of adventures and stories and he was a fireman. And um, so the firehouse sto- stories were just hysterical. I hear them year after year and they'd still make me laugh. All of a sudden, on uh, April 15th, 2018, he passed away peacefully in my arms. And I thought the laughter would never come back in my life. Mm. And I remember whispering into his ear before he passed away that morning, honey, it's okay, I'll be all right. And I lied because every single thing was different from that moment on. Every single thing. And remember the first time I laughed out loud, it was about maybe eight or nine months later. And I, I had to do a double take. I, had a, I wonder what that sound was coming out of me because it was just so uh, rare, so unusual. That began my, my um, life part two, as I call it. And the journey that I went through from, from becoming a widow, part of a club you never want to be a part of, mm. to where I am today, about to get married in five weeks, was, was pretty, pretty incredible. That is incredible. And you met said fiancé during COVID. I did. How did you it, meet somebody during COVID? We were all locked down. So um, it was January. It's, it, the chapter in my book is called The Corona Love Story. The scene was Sarasota, Florida. And Jeff was down there working. He was helping renovate uh, beach resorts in, in Sarasota. I was down there because I decided to run away from home because the community I lived in was all, you know, 20 years of couples and friends. And I thought, no, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So about a year and a half later, I packed up the car and I thought I'd go for a month or two. Well, that changed on January 9th. 
I was on, I was having dinner by myself, listening to this wonderful band in a restaurant called Madison's in Sarasota. And um, Jeff was on the dance floor, dancing the whole night long. All our eyes met. We started dancing. And we've been dancing ever since. Aww. So we met on that dancer. So it was right before COVID. Oh, and he had, he had come down in, in March. We went to a, a Red Sox season game, preseason game. And then he flew home. And I thought, how, when am I ever going to see him again? Well, I was, on my, I was flying to London to give a speech. It was going to be the, the debut of my book. I was on my way. I had everything packed, all checked in, and the world shut down. Mm. And so I said, let me just fly up and see Jeff for a week. I had, you know, all these airline credits and I was a freaking flyer in my career with Oracle as well. And so let me just fly up and see Jeff. So I showed up in, in Maine with a raincoat on and my snakeskin boots. And two and a half months later, we finally got out of Maine and it was the best quarantine ever. I mean... We uh, built an addition and we, we just had a, it was an incredible, he bought me my own palm hammer, uh, learned all kind of new skills outside and hunting and it was awesome. That sounds so cool. You talk about your hammer. My husband manages an estate and I do a lot of the gardening and he has these great mallets for whacking poles and things into the ground. And I don't ever need the big thing that he needs. So he wouldn't ever want me to use it because he's like, no, you're going to whack your finger or whatever. Anyway, as a present, a surprise this spring, he bought me a little mallet that is perfect for the garden stakes. And I was so <laughs> excited. It's crazy. In the old days, I, I laughed when one of my girlfriends was early, where she was mid-20s. She'd been married a few years. And she said, I'm so excited. My husband's finally buying me a washing machine. And I thought, ew. Really? You've only been married? That's romantic? That's okay. And now I'm getting excited about Hammer. So I know it's the little things. It really, and it's what's important to you, right? She had a, or already had two children. So having a washing machine meant she didn't have to leave the house and drive. Yeah. So it's just funny what you want in the moment. But that's a great story. I'm so happy that that is your story after losing somebody that you loved. What is it about societally, culturally, we stumble around death? And especially when a friend loses somebody like a spouse, a partner, a child. And did you experience people being awkward, not knowing what to say? What was your experience of your friends and your family when this happened? Yeah, it's interesting. I remember writing about that and reflecting back on that. For the first month after Dave passed away, there, there, was, like, there was a tremendous buzz of activity. We had a memorial for him. It's a great way to honor someone and have a memorial and but after that, you were kind of left alone because, like you said, people don't know what to say. And in fact, Joyce Widows, said, or Joyce Brothers in her book, Widowed, uh, says a weeping widow is about as popular as a case of the flu. Oh. And, and it's true because the people don't know what to say. But really what's important is just to have someone there. Mm. And I remember the first year and the holidays hit and, you know, things were going wrong in the house. And I almost burned the place down because a heater component melted up in the attic and oh. and I was just I was beside myself after you know the guys left that couldn't fix it and my friend Cindy who, who knew exactly when to come around came over I was you know just complete sobbing mess oh. and all she did is she walked in she gave me a huge hug we had tears together and she basically just took over she finished the meals I was preparing for Christmas dinner and 
And just, it was just a tremendous relief just to have someone there. Mm -hmm. So really don't worry about what to say, just be there, just Mm -hmm. be present. It's the best, best thing you could do. Yeah, that's a good point. And still in my mind, I'm thinking, but shouldn't I bring something? Shouldn't I try to comfort? (laughs) We want to make it right, I guess. Yeah. Fix it mode. Making it right. No. No. So you said it was about eight months before you heard yourself laugh out loud. Yes. Were you intentionally looking for laughter again, or did you just not want laughter because it had been such a part of your marriage, your first marriage? That's a good point. I think um, I've always, I love to make people smile. I love to make people laugh. And, and, and Dave and I had, you know, 30 years of laughter and, and lots of good times. And, and I think when you're suddenly alone, your world is shattered and you really don't know how you're going to overcome this tremendous grief, if ever. Mm. And um, after about eight months, it, it just happened. It just happened. And I, I, I don't know if I was, to have a funny conversation with someone, but I remember how strange the sound was coming out of my mouth. I had to do a double take, like, wow, what's that sound? And then I realized it was okay. I, I had permission to laugh again. I, I had permission. You know, Dave wanted me to, to carry on and embrace life again. And even though I didn't think it would ever happen, he was right. I, I just needed to see back and, and know that I had his permission to laugh again. Hmm. What would you say to people that don't get that closure? Yeah, it's after I became a functional medicine health coach, it really helped me articulate the seven steps to healing. And through these seven steps, like the leverage food as medicine, for example, because if you don't eat well, you're not you're going to feel like crap and you're not going to want to do anything. And the last step is to find new purpose. And finding new purpose for me was uh, getting out of the community I spent 30 years in, going to a new place, even though it was scary as heck, not knowing anyone. And um, develop new purpose became for me launching the business, writing, finishing the book, becoming a health coach with this burning desire to help other widows and widowers learn to live well, laugh more, and love again. And that's my mission for life part two. I think if I didn't have that mission, I wouldn't want to get out of bed in the morning. Mm. So you mentioned Oracle. So you had a corporate career. Yeah, 30 years. 30 years corporate and then functional medicine, health coaching. What's yes. the segue there? Food has always been my passion and my flow. And after Dave died, I wondered if there was something that I could have done to help him with food. And the biggest thing I learned about food and cancer is that sugar feeds cancer, period. So I wanted to go back to school to become a health coach and also because functional medicine changed my life. After Dave died, I was lying on the floor wondering who was I going to take care of now? And the answer came quickly. It's you, silly. Mm-hmm. So I discovered functional medicine actually back when I tore my rotator cuff. And it was the first time in my life that somebody actually took a family history, spent an hour with me jotting down the family history. And I became so aware of all the autoimmune diseases running rampant in my family. Hmm. And so things from celiac, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, my brother died from hypothyroidism, Graves' disease, breast cancer. And then me, I was diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis. So I you know, had pills for everything. I was on blood pressure meds. I was, on, uh, I was pre-diabetic. My cholesterol was sky high. And through functional medicine, after Dave died, 
within six weeks, I went from a size 12 to a size six. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, Sasha Patel, the founder of Living Proof Institute, sent me an email one day, said, become a functional medicine health coach. And I thought, well, you know, I know what the power of functional medicine is. It's too late to help Dave, but it wasn't too late to help myself. Mm-hmm. And so that empowered me to be able to articulate the seven steps to healing. So becoming a functional medicine health coach allowed me to learn more about food and um, all kinds of things like meditation to reduce stress, which is a great grief buster. Mm. And I lost my mom the same year as I lost Dave. So it was a double whammy on the stress scale. And if it wasn't for, you know, functional medicine, I'd probably be unhealthy, overweight, alcoholic, and um, with no purpose in life part two. Can you give the listeners who may not know what functional medicine is a short description of that concept? Yes. And so functional medicine, in my mind, is truly health care. It's taking care of yourself without um, being prescribed medic- pills for specific symptoms. So if you have a headache and you go to an allopathic doctor, regular doctor, you're going to get a pill for, for migraines. If you have high blood pressure, you're going to get a pill for blood pressure. If you have cholesterol, you're going to get a pill. But nobody's really overseeing the function of the body saying, you know, all this stuff in your system is crashing your adrenal glands, it's affecting your liver. So I remember the last time I saw my primary care doctor, it was the allotted 15 minutes sitting in front of a screen, peering over bifocus, looking at two things, blood pressure and cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And I left the, the doctor with two prescriptions for one of each, uh, blood pressure and cholesterol. And then I'm sitting there thinking, but what's the root cause? Why do I have high blood pressure? Why do I have cholesterol? And then I learned that that what I was eating was really affecting my system. And through those six weeks of uh, changing my food preferences, I lost the 30 pounds. I got weaned off my hormones, weaned off the blood pressure meds. And I really learned the power of functional medicine, which is getting to the root cause of what the issues are not prescribing a bunch of pills. And yeah. I didn't want to be like my mom. Yeah, she was on 20 pills at, at, you know, oh, gosh. at the end of her life, 20 pills a day. How do you even fit those in? Yeah. And the other idea about functional medicine, my understanding is it's treating the whole body, yes. not the one organ or the one thing that's crying out for help because it's just, yes. it, we're, we're one big system. We're not just an isolated liver or heart or brain. Yes. Yeah. And what you said about being in the doctor's office, ever since the appointments used to be short, they, they, that hasn't changed. But yeah. now that they have screens, I find that it's a rare doctor that turns around and speaks to you. They speak generally over, they're looking at their screen, we're over here, they're talking, hoping it bounces back in some connective way, but it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't see a whole lot of doctors, you know, regular, but in my memory, and I go with my husband, and I recently had... We kind of got in trouble because he was on a blood pressure medication because he was having, he had knee surgery and it was slightly too high. So they were going to cancel the knee surgery. So we didn't have time for him to get healthy. So they gave it to him. Well, then some new doctor, because our other doctor left, came along a year later and says, well, I think you need more blood pressure medication. I was sitting in the office and I didn't say much at the time, but when we left, because he, my husband thought, why? Because it's a few degrees higher. Why would I want to take more medicine? And the doctor's reasoning was because you're 56 and la, 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 whatever. And then we got, I called the doctor later. I said, I'm not comfortable filling this prescription. 
He said, oh, who are you now, a doctor? I said, no, I'm an educated consumer of medical care. And this feels like an overreach. And we'd like to see a cardiologist. So my husband is going to see a cardiologist. And he wasn't happy. But you know what? Everybody needs a patient advocate or or the courage to educate themselves and then stand up. And it's hard. I know it's hard when you're in the doctor's office to speak for yourself. Yeah. They're assertive in their box. And the thing is, it's a trillion dollar industry. A trillion dollars uh, is spent on cholesterol pills alone. And um, it's, it's just incredible that big pharma controls so much of the medical profession. And it truly is sick care, right? Regular. And once you get on a prescription med, uh, I, always, I always realize this. Once you get on a prescription med, there's no exit strategy. There's no take this for six months and, and, and then we'll see what happens. You're on it forever. Yep. Yeah. I call it the cradle to grave system because if you think about the age that they give the first vaccinations, the formulas, right? And then it's ADHD, maybe. And then it's a vaccine for the Gardasil vaccine, right? It just seems like they groom us from a very young age to be dependent on these, you know, medications. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with necessary medication. Medicine can do wonderful things for people. Yes. It's just the stuff that they want us to be on that maybe there's an alternative to having. How does somebody go from that place of, you know, it was eight months, you're alone. I know that there's probably this, you're trying to adjust to a whole new life. You miss the person desperately. Even if you didn't get along with the person, there's a missing from what I understand, because that was the the routine. That was half of who you were. And you found this purpose for yourself. But in between Mm -hmm. time, you had to get out of bed every day. You had to do something like what did you use to motivate yourself or wasn't it motivation? Was it just like one foot in front of the other? It was absolutely one foot in front of the other. So, you know, at eight months, I I had my my first lap. I had started uh, school, become a functional medicine health coach. And uh, it was a year year long program. And I found the key was also finding new communities, finding new tribes that, that I felt comfortable with and to expose me to, you know, finding my new life purpose. And so after about a year and a half, I decided that maybe it's time to start uh, dating again. And so I did. And, and I met Jeff in Sarasota. And I never dreamed that it would be possible not to just have one great love in your life, but to have two. Mm. My friend Lee said to me, how do you rate? And most people don't get one great love, <laughs> let alone two great loves. But I attribute it to, you know, healing my body, eating well, um, living well. Uh, functional medicine teaches you that to mitigate stress, meditation is a huge advantage. And so I became a, a I, I try to meditate at least 10 minutes every day. And so all of these things all put together helped me overcome the tremendous grief of losing Dave. And grief never goes away. It's like a mm-hmm. constant companion, you know, sitting on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And just the thought of getting married in six weeks and walking down the aisle again you know, with my brothers walking me up to Jeff's dad is going to be super emotional. And it's like, I I, I can't even imagine, but I'm so happy. Uh, We laugh every single day. We um, we feel like we're 29 again. So it's like, you know, life reimagined. That's great. And I I imagine, speaking of imagining, in the moment or the months leading uh, post-death of a spouse or partner, you don't see possibility. You, you can't even imagine is, is really truly your situation. You can't imagine anything, can you? Yeah. But what no. you feel in the moment? Yeah. And it's, you know, my favorite spot. I, I break down often in, in the closet, walk-in closet. And I just find myself sobbing on the floor, you know, for hours. And 
and I'd, I'd sit up and put put Dave's leather jacket, wrap it around me, and light a candle and feel his spirit. Uh, but you know, it's it's a, a hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life, and to come out of it on the other end with uh, you know the desire to help other widows and widowers is really it's it's just pumping me up. I can't I can't wait to get the word out. Oh, well, we're going to help you do that. Would you say there's a difference between how a widow is in the moment or a widower? Are men and women different even at this place in life of grief? Yes. Yes, I think so. Because if you think about it, men aren't always, I'd say 80% of men really aren't emotive or express their feelings. Jeff, on the other hand, wears his heart on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really hard for them to live and deal with the grief that they're feeling because they can't show the emotion. So I, I found through three years of research that widowers will often get married within three months. Wow. Three months, six months, because they need a woman in their life. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the second marriage rarely lasts because they haven't really dealt with the grief. And widower, widows, on the other hand, are a much longer. The first thing I did was buy a security system because I wanted to feel safe. First thing a man does is, you know, goes out and finds a new woman. So uh, it's a big difference between the two. And, um, and then some women, well, I've heard say, you know, I've had the best, forget the rest. Mm. That saying really sticks in my mind. But, you know, it's life. And um, you to come out of a dark place and embrace life again is really, really hard. And um, I want to help them take that journey and um, learn about how you can, in fact, live well, laugh more, and love again. Mm. I was reading on a grief website for something else, uh, and they, it was a, people I've written into this, this person who is running the website, and talking about, well, I've lost my, the, these were people that were family members or friends of somebody who was grieving. So they were asking, you know, how do I cope? How do I deal? And the one person said, well, you know, I lost a family member. I lost my mother. I don't understand. Why can't they just get back on the horse and ride kind of thing? And I know that that person was coming from a loving place. Again, like, what do I do? But then the person or the guru person responded, that was one half of the person's life. You lose a parent. It's a different relationship. You lose a sibling unless you're a twin. It's generally not even similar to having that partner. And again, I think I mentioned early on, He said, even if they were not the best of friends or having the best relationship, it's your routine, it's your day-to-day, and that's gone. So you have to, re, like you said, recreate what a life is. Mm -hmm. But you didn't feel the need, like a man in three months getting married, you didn't feel the need to run out and replace your your husband, Dave. No. Probably the last thing on your mind, I think. Last thing. It really didn't cross my mind. And, you know, even the thought of getting married, I thought I'd never get married again. And um, Jeff proposed on our one-year anniversary back in, Ju- in, in January on a Zoom call. Oh. And, uh, and it, it's like, you know, I had no clue. He totally surprised me. Did and, he get down uh, on one knee on Zoom? He, he got down. He, we, well, we were sitting in side-by-side chairs, and, and he goes, I'm going to invite your brothers because um, he, he loves my brothers and my family. And, and so I said, oh, that's okay. Well, what about my sister? Yeah, yeah, invite her. I'll invite my mom and my sister. Nobody knew. 
I'll oh. invite my best friend and I'll, I invited my best friend from, from uh, Vancouver, my sister, my friend, Anne. And so we're sitting in Orlando because he wanted to be somewhere different. Just uh, had a wonderful day at Epcot and golfing. And, mm. and so I had no clue. So we're sitting side by side at the condo and he turns to me and he goes, first of all, my brother Rich is baking cookies with my brother, Mike. And he said, Rich, Rich, where are you? I got to pop the question. And I said, I'm thinking to myself, what question? What kind of cookies do you want Rich to bake you? What question? So he turns to me and he goes, honey, will you marry me? Oh. And Niagara Falls, I mean, Niagara oh. Falls started, and after about 30, it's 30 seconds, I couldn't process what was just happening. And somebody yelled out, typical Zoom call, can you hear me? Can you see me? So, <laughs> so somebody yelled out, did she say yes? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I said yes over and over. And it was, it was just so perfect, you know, fitting for the global pandemic to get it, yeah. you know, engaged on a Zoom call. Nice to hear that there are such positive Zoom calls. <laughs> but there's yes. always that one. Can you hear me? You're on mute. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, gosh. Marie, tell us about your book. I'm so happy to hear, the, hear you laughing. So my book is called Finding Meaning and Humor in Widowhood, Firehouses, and Organic Vegetables. <laughs> and the original title was, was called, and this just came to me the first year I started writing. The first title was called Finding Humor in Widowhood, Firehouses, and Organic Vegetables. But the um, editor I had, Jane from New York City, said, I don't like the word humor so close to widowhood. Mm. <laughs> so... It's been finding meaning and humor. And then uh, the subtitle is Seven Steps to Healing. So I hope that it can help uh, many other widows and widows learn to shine a light in a dark place. It is possible. Mm -hmm. And that's my first book. The second book is called Cooking with a Side of Kleenex. <sighs> because a, a lot of times widows and widows, even single people or, or empty nesters think, oh, it's just me. I won't cook. But if you don't cook for yourself, you're not going to eat well. And if you don't eat well, you're not going to feel well. And um, the third book is called 40 Things to Do When You're Widowed. <laughs> are you, are you going to keep writing books? You should take some time off and enjoy your new life. No, I, I actually am, am launching an online course of the seven steps to healing. Right. As, as well as uh, planning retreats in, in uh, this beautiful healing place in Abrams Pond, Maine, and uh, one in Sarasota. So. Lots of big plans just to get the word out. And I'm also speaking at Camp Widow in um, October. Tell not me about Camp Widow. You mentioned it. I, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. So it's this, um, or, and I'm not speaking. I'm actually, they're allowing me to promote my book. Camp Widow is an organization of 30,000 widows and widowers. The organization is called Soaring Spirits. And Camp Widow is, they have these global events I was going to do a workshop in March in Tampa, but they canceled it, of course, because of the pandemic. But this uh, San Diego will be the first in-person event since before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I'm wildly excited about being there and being uh, among other like-minded widows and widowers and helping get the message out that, you know, it's possible to uh, embrace life again. Mm. And that's a beautiful message, especially for people that are in it right now, have been a year or two yeah. years. I mean, I... You know, some people need something, someone to help them move forward, right? I think we're all such warriors and as women these days in this time of life, we think we have to do everything on our own. We don't want to ask for help. We don't even know what to ask for sometimes, right? And I'm sure when you're in a grief state, you, you don't know what you need or want. 
you yeah. just want to not feel bad i think yeah yeah because i remember when, you're afraid to when ask. i was young but i still was like how do i how do i do this right i don't but i didn't i wanted to push everybody away it was like just leave me alone you know yeah in charleston i started a, a meetup group because i'm very social i love to be around people i serve a meetup group called widowhood sucks especially over 50 and um we got up to 100 members i was pretty proud of wow. that yeah and um so, you know, one thing I can say uh, as um, a widow or widower is, you know, join a meetup group. Really great, safe way to meet people. They go on walks and Sarasota walks and, and um, in Charleston, they had dinner, uh, wine tasting. So it's a great way to meet people and get outside your comfort zone. It's really hard going out the first time. It's really hard. But once you do that, you realize that this, I've got a whole rest of my life to live. You know, if we're going to live to be a hundred, then I want to have some fun doing it. Yeah. Do you, are you familiar? Cause you seem to be connected. Uh, a woman named Jennifer O'Brien wrote a book called the hospice doctor's widow. I interviewed her a few months ago and she talked about the importance of finding groups, social communities through places like Instagram or Facebook. If you're not ready to go out, cause it will at least give you people that understand have been through or whatever. And then, you know, it'll help you come back to some understanding of who you are if you find the right groups. She started her book. Her book is called The Hospital Doctor's Widow because she was journaling and she's an artist, a collage artist. So she was making these pieces of art that represented how she was feeling at different stages through her husband's illness. And she, some really close friend of hers was a doctor and said, you know, this patient, she's losing her husband and whatever. Jennifer said, well, I, I wrote this, I put together this book, maybe would you take a look at it? And the guys came back and said, you need to get this published. This will help. So, wow. so the same kind of, so that's, yeah. she was happy that her time grieving and caretaking and grieving and loss could be put to use for other people, much like what you're saying. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, Marie, what is the most important thing that people should leave with? What can you leave people listening who might just recently have been become a widow or widower. Yeah, I think the most important thing is to realize that you have permission to embrace life again, mm. and you have permission to laugh again. It's okay. That's what your partner would have wanted, and I know that's what Dave wanted. Even though I never dreamed it would be possible, but um, yeah, it's okay to you have permission to embrace life again. Mm. I think that's a perfect way to end. Thank you so much for your time with us and for your authenticity and openness. It's not an easy subject to talk about, even though you've now made it your work, your life's yeah. work for the next yes. a life part two. Yes. Thank you. People listening, thank you for being with us. I will be back next week again with another awesome guest on the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast. Take care till then. Hey, before you go, peeps, I was just wondering if we are connected on social media. If not, let's do that. You can find me on Instagram at rebelwell50, same on Twitter, Facebook, it's rebellious wellness over 50. And hey, don't be a stranger, comment, let me know what you'd like to hear about on the podcast or what questions you have about aging better and living rebelliously. 